And if you ever come to the end of a long journey, you know, figuratively speaking, you often will think to yourself, so what now? You might come to the end of your career and you've just retired and so you think to yourself, so, so what now? What do I do now? You come to the end of your education and you think, what do I do now? Or perhaps you go on holidays, you have you know, three or four weeks away, it's the most amazing time away and you come back to the real world and you think, so, so what now? You know, do I go to my, that, that might be a millennial thing for me, but that's how I feel sometimes. When you come to the end of a journey, it can be quite a shock to the system. You've been used to something for a long, long time, a pattern of life you've just gotten used to. And then when that pattern of life ends, the question that we find ourselves asking is, so, so what now? You've got to find a new pattern of life, a new normal to live by. And no doubt this is the, the question on the hearts and the minds of the disciples. They've been journeying with Jesus since Galilee. They've been going with him for a very long time now. They've been hearing all about what he's taught about the kingdom of God. They've seen him do incredible miracles and then teach incredible things. They went with him to Jerusalem. They saw him scorned and mocked and, and trialed and crucified. And at that point, they thought the journey was done. But then Jesus rose again from the dead, showing that he was king, that he conquered sin and death, that he has changed everything. And now at this point, they're probably thinking, well, what now? What's next? Because the resurrection changes everything. Jesus just didn't just rise again to die again. He rose again to live forever, eternally. What would this mean for his followers? What would this mean for us today? And they actually ask Jesus, they come to Jesus, they say to him in that passage, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still thinking in terms of a, a, like a political and, and national kind of restoration of the kingdom of God. They're thinking, great, Jesus has shown that he has power. He's going to go right up to Pilate now and go, hey, look, I'm alive. What are you going to do about it? And he's going to help us win against our occupation of the Romans. He's going to help us restore Israel and therefore as a nation will be a light to the world around us. But what they miss is that the resurrection is actually a lot more than that. The resurrection is a sign of something new beginning, not just for Israel, but for the whole world. Jesus is the first fruits of what's to happen for all of mankind. The restoration of our bodies, the restoration of our world. So what now then? That is the question we're looking at. What does life look like now? that Jesus has risen from the dead? I want to answer this question in two kind of ways. The first way to look at it is like this. Life now is all about living in this kingdom that Jesus has come to bring. Luke tells us that when Jesus rose from the dead, he presented himself as alive. In many ways, to prove that he is alive, he appeared to them, showing that I am here, I defeated death. And for 40 days, he spent time with his disciples gathered together to talk about the kingdom of God. Now, we don't know exactly what was said about the kingdom of God, but we can imagine what he said because he's been talking about the kingdom for a very long time now. 
And if you've been here in our church over the last couple of months, we've been looking at this series on the road with Jesus, and we have heard what Jesus has said about his kingdom, about the kind of life he's inviting people to partake in. So some of the things that we've seen is that Jesus is calling us that the kingdom of God is a life of hope, a life of peace where the lost can be found, a life of forgiveness for the sinner, grace for the guilty. It's one where we put ourselves before others, where we serve them humbly and lovingly. It's one that seeks to bring healing and life to those who are suffering, a life that welcomes home the broken, the lowly, the guilty person and restores them as sons and daughters as we see in Luke 15. These are some of the things that we've seen in our journey with Jesus about what the kingdom of God is like and he's probably speaking to his disciples about these things. This is what I'm on about. This is what my resurrection means for you. And so Jesus' resurrection is the culmination at this moment. That he's come to bring life and hope and healing and peace and restore our relationship with God. Death has lost that battle. Its sting is gone. We can look forward to having life in the kingdom. Now, whilst the resurrection serves as a sign as what's coming for all of humanity, coming for our world, it's actually Jesus' ascension that kind of inaugurates, that kind of shows this has begun. If you look at verse 9, it says this, When he had said these things, they were, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, this is actually kind of confusing, if you're, if you're thinking Jesus was going to be king of his kingdom, why is he leaving his so-called kingdom? Where is he going? It's confusing because we don't necessarily understand the context and the theological significance of what's going on in this moment. The disciples and what we're witnessing is the fulfillment of a prophecy spoken long before, which we pick up in Daniel chapter 7. And in verse 13 we read of Daniel's vision. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed." Jesus, as he ascends on high, taken by the clouds, is being inaugurated as king. In the same kind of way we see here in Daniel 7, it's the final proof that he is the long-awaited king, the long-awaited Messiah that Daniel prophesied about, that Isaiah prophesied about, that David longed to see. And so he has come, and he is rising up. And it's a sign that he is the one who has defeated death and sin. He is the one who has defeated the powers that be, that Daniel 7 says calls the beasts and the evil kingdoms that surround. And he as the son of man didn't conquer these things through the sword or through with an army or political force. No, he instead suffered at the hands of these evil's powers but defeated them through his death and resurrection. And so if the resurrection is proof that Jesus is king and of the kind of kingdom that Jesus is bringing in and establishing, his ascension kind of makes it official. His ascension is like it's happening. It's beginning. He's placed on the throne to reign, to rule on high. 
But that leaves us with so many questions, doesn't it? If Jesus is king, if he is king of this world, if he is Lord of all, then why do so much wrong and wrong and bad things continue to happen in our world today? Why is there bombings in Sri Lanka? Why is there mass shootings in Christchurch? Why are so many children dying of preventable diseases? And even more personally for you, you might look at your own life and think, why do I suffer in the way I do? Why is there moments of life where my life is full of pain and grief? If Jesus is king in control of all these things, why do these things still happen? And that brings us to an obvious conclusion that this is a complex thing. The coming of Jesus' kingdom has a measure of complexity in it because he is Lord. He is sovereign over all things. And he has defeated our worst enemy, death itself. He has restored our relationship with God himself through the forgiveness of sins. And yet it seems like we're still waiting for something more. We're waiting for a fulfillment of something else. That's even what Jesus hints at in this passage as well. He says to the disciples who ask him, when are you going to restore the kingdom? He says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. There is a future day, Jesus hints at, where all things will be made new again, where all things will be made right again, where the kingdom will come and it will be obvious to all who see it. A day when there will be no more pain and no more grief. There will be no more tears and no more sorrow. A day we'll have peace and joy forevermore. But that day is not yet. That day is not now. And that's quite obvious to us. We're living life in between now and then. We're in this tension where we have the forgiveness of sins, the hope of eternal life, and yet we experience still the, the effects of sin on our life, death and decay of our bodies. You know, we, we know we belong to the kingdom and yet we're still waiting for it. We know we're, we're, we belong to Jesus and yet we still pray to him, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the question again is, so if, if life's all about living in the kingdom, then what does that look like? How do we live in this moment between now and then, between Jesus ascending onto the throne and his return? What does life look like now? That's where I want to answer the second part of the question. Life in the kingdom is powered by the Spirit of God as a witness to all people that Jesus is King. We live in this tension. The kingdom has begun, and yet at the same time we're waiting for it to come in its fullness, for when everything will be made right again. And yet we are still able to participate in the life of the kingdom now by the power of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. We read in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This power we receive from, from God's Spirit is first and foremost the power for us to be able to partake in God's kingdom. For how else can we partake in something in a kingdom when the King is in heaven? We, we can't. Unless we can do so by something that has come from heaven down to us. And that's why we read in John 20 when Jesus breathed on his disciples the Holy Spirit. They received the Spirit so they could continue to participate 
in the kingdom of heaven. We read in Ephesians 2 verse 6 that we were, once we were forgiven, we were raised with Christ Jesus from the dead and we were seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's interesting. There's a sense that we are up with Christ and also here as well. And what that means is that as we live here on earth, we are simultaneously connected to the life of heaven by the power of the Spirit. We have access to God, that is. We have a relationship with Him. We can enjoy the forgiveness of sins. We can enjoy life by the Spirit. But that does make us wonder, what does this life look like for us? What are we supposed to do with all of this exactly? Being connected to the kingdom of heaven whilst living on earth. We, well, we continue on in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is the so what now. We have life by the power of God's Spirit connected to the kingdom of God as we live here on earth so that we can be Jesus' witnesses that he has come, he is king and he's coming again. That's our purpose. That's the life that we are called to live between now and then. That wherever we are, in whatever moment we find ourselves in, we testify, we witness to what Christ has done for us and to the fact he's coming again. Now when we think of a witness, we think of someone perhaps in a courtroom who testifies they saw someone, the accused, do the crime or perhaps they are saying that the defendant didn't do the crime because they were with them at the time. And so they relay it all before the court to say that they were there when it happened. They saw it happen. The disciples are to be Jesus' witnesses to the whole world, testifying to what had happened, that he lived and died and rose again, that he is king on high and will come back. And we too can testify to what happened because we have the Spirit of God living in us, inspiring these words of Scripture to us, being from God so we can testify to the world around us that Jesus Christ is King and Lord over all. But also we read in the ascension how and in what way Jesus will bring about his kingdom. We can point towards the kind of kingdom that is coming. If you look at verse 9, And when he had said these things, they were looking on, and he was lifted up as a cloud took him out of their sight. As we've already noted, Jesus' ascension is his inauguration to the throne room of heaven. But there's something else going on here. I don't know if you read that, but a cloud came and took him. I don't know, clouds don't have some sort of autonomy, but what we have here, clouds took him from their sight, away from the disciples. And Jesus didn't rise up, up and up until he went into the clouds. We read that a cloud came and took him. If you know your Old Testament well, you will, you will recognize that this cloud has been here before. This cloud has shown up all over Scripture. This is a cloud that was in Exodus 13, leading the Israelite people out of Egypt. This is the cloud in Exodus 24 that was with Moses at the top of Mount Sinai when he received the commandments of God. This is the cloud in Exodus 40 when the tabernacle, when the tabernacle was made and Moses would come to the tent of meeting, and it, the cloud would descend upon him as he met with God. This is the cloud in 1 Kings 8 that was there at the dedication of the temple. 
with Solomon. This cloud throughout Scripture has always been a sign of God's presence and dwelling, of God's glory. They called this the Shekinah glory of God. This is where God's presence was. And at this moment here in Acts 1, we have the glory of God appear, his presence before the disciples, taking Jesus up. And the significance being that Jesus has been taken into the presence of God. He is where God is right now. God's realm and our realm are separated and divided. But as we read on, the great hope that we are witnesses of is that this realm of God where Christ has gone towards would come together in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, who do you stand, who do you, sorry, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Heaven is not the final place of rest for Jesus, nor is it ours. The end goal is not for Jesus to stay on high, but for him to come back and bring with him the presence of God on earth, fulfilling what we read in Revelation 21. And it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will be with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Traditional Western Christianity has often remarked that our hope is that we will go to heaven when we die. That we will have life with God in heaven, the forgiveness of sins getting us to that point. Have faith in Jesus and what he has done for us and you'll be there. But whilst it might be true that when we die, and I believe this, when we... Tr- when we die, we will go to heaven, that won't be our final resting place. We are awaiting for Jesus' return to bring heaven and earth together because this is our realm, earth. And we're looking forward to the day when Jesus will make this place new by bringing together heaven and earth and God's presence to dwell forever and ever and that's why as we pray in the Lord's prayer your kingdom come come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven our hope is to enjoy in the Shekinah glory of God his presence and love forever on earth and so we're called to be witnesses to not only the fact that Jesus rose from the dead to forgive us of our sins and to bring us into relationship with God, we're called to also witness to the fact that he is coming back to establish his kingdom. He's coming back to bring heaven and earth together so we can enjoy the presence of God for all eternity and life and hope and peace with him. Where pain and sickness will be no more. Where grief and sadness will be no more. Death and decay will be no more. The effects of sin entirely removed. That is the hope that we are witnesses of in our world today. To what has happened and to what is coming. And so I guess what I want to encourage you this morning is are you sharing that hope with your friends and family, with your neighbours, with those around you? Are you sharing that hope 
because we live in a world filled with anxiety and grief and pain. People who don't have hope for the future and people who don't have something in the past to give them hope for the future like we do. Jesus' witnesses requires that we are proclaimers of what he has done for us and of his kingdom that is coming. Now because, of course though, testimony is not going to be met without challenge. A good lawyer is always going to cross-examine a witness and try and find loopholes in their testimony so they can dismiss it and, and get rid of it as a bad testimony. And so we've got to prepare ourselves if we want to be witnesses. And there are plenty of good resources out there. In fact, we've just heard of one coming up where you can come to an event with Sam Chan to learn more about how to evangelize and how to actually share the gospel in a really holistic kind of way with your friends and family around you at St. Mark's Freshwater. And so please come along to the event. There's also many good resources out there to talk about how you can uh, learn more about the, the evidence itself for the testimony of Jesus. That there is good we can have good grounds and assurance that what we have in the scriptures is reliable as, an, as a record of what happened. But I think, at times, what can make our testimony seem the most unreliable, especially in our modern world today, has more to do with our attitude and posture rather than how much we know. It has to do with whether or not we live out what we believe. And I'm not simply talking about morality at this point or being a good Christian. I think what's more important is that our life reflects the hope that we have in Jesus. That he is king on the throne. That he is coming back. Our lives either reflect the hope we have in Jesus or they reflect the anxiety and the fear that our world lives in. What will make our testimony reliable is when our hope remains steadfast even through difficulty and pain. When you just live your life doing what you have been called to do in whatever vocation God has put you, and as you face whatever trial comes your way, hell or high water, you remain hopeful and steadfast. You don't succumb to the fear or anxiety because you're someone who knows what the future holds. You know Jesus is coming back as king. So therefore you have great hope even in the midst of pain. And when you can hold on to that hope, that is going to be incredibly attractive to the people around you whose lives seem like they're falling apart because they don't have that hope that you have. What makes God look so good and look so good to trust in is when you can go through immense struggle and trials in your life and you can come through it all saying, God is good. Whom do I have in heaven but you? Nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh, my portion, my house, my car, my children, my grandchildren, my spouse, all these things might fail, but you, God, are my portion and the strength of my life. That is going to be much better than any testimony of historical evidence than you can ever give showing the hope that you have in Jesus, that he is king, he's coming back. He is your portion for your life. So, when people say, why do you have such hope? What will you say? We are called to live 
to testify to what God's done for us in Jesus Christ, wherever we are. Life's not about the accumulation of things, about success, about enjoying nice food or nice holidays, as good as these things are. The problem is that when we make life about those things, they can all fall apart very quickly. But the good news is that when when these things do fall apart, we as Christians have great hope. And we can show our neighbours and our friends and our families that great hope by the way we live. Telling them we trust in God. So what now? Life in between now and then is about testifying to the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Living life connected to the life of heaven by his spirit. Living the life of the kingdom, showing life, love and joy and peace to those around you and reflecting a non-anxious presence to people in a world filled with fear and anxiety. Let me pray for us.